Welcome to The Rock Church and World Outreach Center. We pray that this message will strengthen and encourage you. Now here's a message from one of the pastors here at The Rock. Amen and amen. I always consider it a privilege to come uh, before you, and I don't really take this lightly at all. Thank you, Pastor Dan, for inviting me to do this. You know, this has been uh, somewhat of a year coming away from 2020. I remember... You know, popping the poppers and uh, all the festivities and all the headlines were 2020 new vision, 2020 look empowerment. Remember that? And then here came 2020 and 2020 left us and some of us left us dazed and confused. I don't know what your year has been, but one uh, news writer said it this way. It's 2020, we're leaving 2020, heading to 2021, a miserable year has gone, thank God. And I was like, wow, that, that was a staff writer of a headline news story. Now, I don't know about you, but I've had some challenges this last year, and I've asked God, and I've entreated the Lord for this message specifically. And this message has pressed me. So usually you guys are going to see me empowered and faith and power. This is actually a little sobering message, but hopefully we'll end it with some encouragement. Because every time I open up the Word of God, you know, God never ends anything on a downer. As a matter of fact, I've read the end of the book and we win. And you win. And I win. And the church wins. Always when we see the landscape, we see something different. So hopefully, hopefully God will recalibrate us and encourage us towards the end of the message. But I've titled this message, Turning Your Losses Into Gain. Turning Your Losses Into Gain. This is a new year. There has to be a shift of perspective. Because if I can't shift from my losses, I'm going to stay stuck in my losses. And if we stay stuck in our losses or in the past or what 2020 didn't do or did do for us, some of you have had a great year, some of you have had a fantastic year, some of you have had a miserable year. Well, I've had some tremendous losses this last year. Tremendous losses. As a matter of fact, you know, I had two family members die. You know, the last time I was in this pulpit, I was asking you, the church, to pray for my mom who was in the hospital, who never got out of the hospital. So this had me thinking, what can we do for this next season to shift? What can I do as a person? What can you do as a person to shift my perspective so this can be the best year that God has called us to do? You know, during the Christmas season, somebody um, gave me a little gift. And I don't know about you, but I'm of the age now to where I don't really expect anything in Christmas. You know, I'm, I'm not a little boy to where I'm going to open up my BB gun or anything like that. I'm not waiting for Santa. But my niece handed me a gift that literally ripped my heart out. And she said, Uncle, I thought you would appreciate this gift. And she, she, she went on my social media and she says, I printed these out for you. And this is just this little memorial, a little token of your family. She says, here, here, Uncle, so you could remember. You could stick it on your refrigerator door and you could remember the family members that went these past couple of years, God bless you. I took this little, these little um, pictures and I went to my room and I wept. I wept because I lost my family members. And I will never be shopping for them, never be getting a gift for them, never ever seeing them again until eternity. So what I want to do tonight is open up the doorway to allow the Holy Spirit to come to speak to you and shift our perspective of what it means to approach 2021. Are you still with me? Okay, I've told you, man, this is going to be heavy. It's going to be heavy on me. Okay, so I think our, my first point is 
for us to overcome and advance, we need to grieve our losses. Grieving your losses means this, okay? And, and, and in faith, and there's a lot of faith teaching out there that says, you know what, just, just get it out of you and overcome. And, and oftentimes I'm, I'm doing funerals and I never know what to say. I read the Bible, I open up, I give a scripture, we lead people to Christ and all that stuff and that's good. But when someone loses someone close to you, you really don't know what words to say. It's very hard to quantify what to say and how to say it. So I, very, I approach that very, very carefully because I want to be very sensitive to the loss of the family member that went before them. In the same perspective, I want to be respectful of you and me. And the last thing I want to tell you this evening is just get over your losses. Just tough it out. Just overcome. We have the Bible. We have faith. We have it in us. You're going to see your mom again. Obviously, I am. But there is some type of grief that I have to go through. It's called the process of grief. And walking through that process of grief, like seeing pictures that rip you up. It could be a smell. It could be a memory. I was driving down the road, and my brother passed a couple uh, years ago, and I was driving by the road, and then a song came on that he used to sing, and I was driving, and I had to pull off because I started to weep because I remember my brother singing that song. And it was very, very tough for me. It was very hard on me. Me being a Christian, me being a man of the word, me opening up my Bible and seeking the Lord, this one memory triggered a loss and a grief moment in me and ignited something they call tears. Do you ever wonder why God put tear ducts in your face? Have you ever wondered that? He could have put them in your armpit. He could have put them on your back. And when you're grieving, no one would ever know. But when we're overcome with grief, oftentimes we cry and it is to notice the loss or notice the grief. And some of you have been through some seasons of grief. Man, maybe you've lost a job. Maybe you lost a marriage. Maybe you lost something dear to you. Maybe you lost an animal. I mean, when your animals die, I mean, some of you just, you know, just, wow, it's like losing a family member, Right? We have to grieve those losses because if we don't go through that process of grief, then we become stuck. Grief is an essential part of the growth process. We have to make sure that when it happens, it is helping us to grow, helping us to step forward, helping us to manage our emotion and our pain so we don't stay stuck in that grief, so we don't go on another rebound. Oftentimes we're counseling people, look man, if you just lost a marriage, don't go back into another relationship right away. Grieve the loss of that relationship so you can now find a new relationship that Christ wants to give you. If you don't do those things, then we end up making mistakes. And I don't want us to repeat the same mistakes. I don't want to be in those same positions. God has given us these tools of life to handle grief. There's this guy that I've read. His name is Viktor Frankl. Viktor Frankl is a, hel a Holocaust survivor from Austria. He wrote a book called Man's Search for Meaning. The premise of this book is this. In the Holocaust, he said this. Nazi Germany and Hitler took everything from me, but what they couldn't take from me, they stripped my money, they stripped my family, they stripped all my opportunity, but they couldn't take purpose and meaning from my soul. 
And because they couldn't take meaning and purpose from my soul, that is my choice to keep. So it doesn't matter what Hitler tells me, and it doesn't matter what my surroundings tell me. My soul is well with him. He said this. Look at this quote. He said this. He said this. When we are no longer able to change the situation, we have to change ourselves. He said also this. But when you need not to be ashamed of your tears, for tears bore witness that man has great courage when he has the courage to suffer well. There's a price you pay when you show up and sign on the dotted line to worship God and God alone. When we ask you to come down to the altar and accept Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, there is a price to pay. You show up and you show up to sign up to die. That's what the Bible says. Not just have peace and prosperity and be blessed. I'm often amused at those individuals that you can never turn off. How are you doing? I'm blessed and highly favored of the Lord. Well, there are sometimes I wake up in the morning and I don't feel blessed or highly favored of the Lord at all. I'm suffering in silence. I'm managing my emotions. I'm managing my pain intake. I'm managing my losses. I'm journaling things out that I don't like. I'm seeing things in my mind and my heart that I don't want to confront. There are changes that I need to make that I don't want to make. That's why people don't change, because it's hard to change. It's hard to make those decisions count and matter. But with God's help, we can do it. So point number one is that we have to grieve our losses. All throughout the Bible, we see this. In uh, King David did it. In 2 Samuel chapter, verse, chapter 18, verse 31 and 33. It was Absalom who came and attacked his dad personally. And there's nothing more hurtful and painful until your family rises up against you. And all of David's men knew Absalom had a plan, and it was to get rid of his father's kingdom. If you read the story closely, he executed a plan and a purpose to take down his dad's kingdom. And when he got taken down, all of David's men came and said this. The text says, this, says it this way. He says, and the Cushite said, we have good news, Master King. Verse 31. God has given you the victory today over those that rebelled against you. And King David finds out his, it was his son Absalom who rebelled against him. And the king was stunted and heartbroken and he went up to the room and over the gate and he wept and he cried out and this is what he said this is what the word of God says when he found out that it was his son Absalom coming to attack him and remove him from kingship and he found out that his son was dead this is what David said he said Absalom my son it would rather be me than you, I, my death than your death, my dear son. And David grieved. 2 Samuel chapter 19 verse 1 said this. At the very end he says this. David grieved over his son and the army straggled back to the city, demoralized, dragging their tails and the king held his face in his hands and lamented loudly. And this is what he said. Absalom, Absalom, my dear son. That's grief, my friend. That's loss. 
And the Bible explicitly says, emotionally says, of how David grieved his son's loss. And it wasn't just a death. It was a death by a deluded men, man called Absalom who tried to take his own dad out. A betrayal, which is even worse. And that betrayal led David down to his knees. Because the early Jews had it right. When they had some tremendous losses, they grieved for over a month. They didn't do anything. They just let the loss happen. And they worked through the process of loss. And oftentimes you would see David losing things. And he'd go into sackcloth and ashes. And he would erect uh, a memorial. And he would cry out to the Lord weeping. David was an emotional man. That's why I love the, the guy. Because he was a warrior king. But when it came down to reality, he settled it with God. And he said, God, my son was coming against me, and now I no longer have him. Absalom, I grieve you. I let you go. And oftentimes we just let these things in life come, come to us, and we pretend like they didn't affect us. Well, I am here to tell you tonight, they do affect you. And I don't care how much faith you have. I don't care how much scripture you read. It tears into your soul. And But when we look up, we find something in the scripture. And in the scripture is meaning and purpose. And in the Bible, we find this. Because it was a whole list of characters. Like David. When Job lost everything. Job 16, 16 says, My face was red of weeping, and my eyelids were, were darkness. When Job lost everything and his wife said, Curse God and die, he looked up to the heavens and said this, Though you slay me, I will still trust in you. I can lose everything on this earth, but I'm not going to lose my relationship with you. I can have pain. I could be deserted all my wealth. And the Bible says Job was a wealthy man. And he's an honorable man. And he was a righteous man. But when it came down to his loss, he looked up and his face was red from weeping. And he said, I will not come against the man who created me. Naked I come naked I go. In the end, I have everything if I have you. And if you read the end of Job, it was a full restoration story because he never cursed God and died. His grief never got the best of him. His grief repositioned him and recalibrated him. Even though he had whisperings and bad counsel from his friends, he said, you know what? You're wrong, you're wrong, and you're wrong, and God is right. Because when he sat down there and had it out with God, you know, the early Jews said it this way, you know, they, they wrestled with him. The Hebrew text is full of those that wrestled with God. Jacob wrestled with the angel. When it comes to meaning, purpose, and life, there are things that we have to wrestle with. And Job wrestled with death. And Job wrestled with loss. But in the end, he kept his composure. He changed his perspective. And God, Bible says, restored him fully. Because he didn't change and flinch his position and his loss. I don't know what last year looked like to you, but I know what it looked like to me. And I'm allowing the Holy Spirit to reposition me. And I'm praying that He reposition you from in our losses. We will be turned around and reposition ourselves like Job and say, though He slay us, we will still trust in Him. Because there's purpose and meaning in life. Amen? 
Jesus wept over Lazarus' death. Yeah, Jesus cried. He wept, he wept over Jerusalem. When he sat there and they came and Jesus, you know, my, my, my brother Lazarus died. He stood before the body and he wept. I thank God that he says those things in the scripture. I thank God that when I read the text, Jesus, the one who created all things, when, if you study the Trinity, he was the creative agent of the Trinity. He was the one that knew everything. He stood in front of Lazarus' body, and the Bible says that he paused and wept. Wow, Jesus. So when we come to our losses, we can weep. It's okay to cry. This whole idea that, come on, man up, don't cry. Don't be a baby. I get it. There's seasons of loss. And then when we move from these seasons of loss and grief, we move into different seasons. But we got to come out of this season to move into a new season. If we don't come out of the season, we stay in grief, in depression. We stay in anger. We stay in misery. And I don't know about you, but tonight I'm choosing by faith not to stay in those positions no longer. Those positions are not my positions. Because I have to read the whole counsel of God. When we see Peter, Peter in Matthew chapter 26, verse 75. Remember, Peter, the man full of faith and power, got out his sword and defended Christ and says, you know, move away. And he was the first one to stand up. And Jesus told him, step aside, Peter. There's coming a time where you are even going to deny me. And the text says this. Let's look at it. The text says this. Peter remembered when he denied him. Before the rooster crows, you'll deny me three times. What does he say? Look at what the Bible says. He went out and wept bitterly. I could just imagine some of us had a good run and had a good start in this thing called following Jesus Christ. But you're growing weary and you're growing weak like Peter where you're, you're against a set of circumstances where you're denying the Lord when he told you, he prophesied right over you. There comes a time, Peter, you're going to be tested and this test, you're going to fail. And I'm telling you. And Peter said, what, 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 what test? You know, he was a raw fisherman. This guy was strong. He was a man's man. These kind of guys don't cry or you don't see them cry. But in this test of denying Christ, he stood back. And the Bible says that weeping turned his position and repositioned him to be the Peter that he became and never denying Christ again. That repositioning is what I'm talking about tonight. This repositioning of our own soul. When we look at Ecclesiastics, I love Solomon because he writes with profound wisdom. He says this in Ecclesiastes chapter 7 verse 2. It is better to go in the house of mourning than to go in the house of feasting. For death is the destiny for every man. Living should take it this to heart. Sorrow is better than laughter because sadness, a sad face is good for the heart. That's a reality check for me. When I read that, it's better to go in the house of mourning. Means because you could have comedic uh, 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 experiences. You could be full of joy. You could ring in the new year with fireworks. But when you come into the house of mourning, there's a sobriety that sets in. There's a reality that sets in. When you've had many, many losses and compound those losses with grief. And you say this, 
It's better to go in the house of mourning. What does that mean? Well, Solomon defined it, defined it this way. When you grieve those losses, sadness sets in. That sadness is more purposeful and brings you more wisdom than any happiness around. Think about it. This is why in funerals and when we do a funeral, there's some sobriety setting in. You know, when I buried my mom, I had all these family members that were around me. And it's amazing how my mom had seven brothers and she loved all of them. It's amazing how powerful men of God they, be they be become. One of them was ex-military. They were heads of businesses. They were uh, intellectuals. They were adored by my mom. At the casket, at the burial, I started talking to any, every one of them. And they turned into the house of mourning. And all of a sudden, a sobriety was setting in to all my own family members. Because there was awareness that this life is but a vapor. It's here today and gone tomorrow. And what the Lord started to speak to me about and what he's going to speak to you about tonight is having that eternal perspective. What is essential and what really matters? Because at the very end, it's not about money, education, power, political gains. It is about the opportunity of having this eternal perspective that we're here, we're planting seed, and there will be an end time harvest, and I'm going to be a part of it, and so are you. That internal perspective is what I'm talking to you about tonight. That's why, number two, we have to change our perspective. We need to refuse to partner was what doesn't inspire hope. Because when, when we refuse to, to let go of these things, then hope inspires us. And whatever's not rooted in hope is a lie. We have the mind of Christ if we don't allow these thoughts to come in. We need to take a sober inventory of all our thoughts. And filter them through hope. And throw out the lies. Like we're going to live forever. We're not. I'm not. You're not. We're not. The only thing that's going to live forever is what we do in eternal things. And this is why we have an altar call. Every message at the Rock Church and World Outreach Center. It's an eternal perspective we have. It's not just redundancy. It's just not going through the motions. We know that everybody that shows up online or sits in those seats has only one opportunity to make it right. And we're going to make it stick. And we're going to love you enough to tell you the truth. You are not going to live forever. And the only thing that's going to live forever is your soul. And let that sobriety set in, my friend. I've had too many losses last year to count. In the midst of one month, I lost a brother, I got coronavirus, and I lost a mother in one month. That sobriety set in. People would come to me and say, what makes you so strong, Pastor Joel? Because you're a pastor? No, I'm not strong. I am not focused. I hurt. But I know my eternity. And I know what is commanded of me. And I know that there is purpose outside of my life. And I, when I step from one life to the other, I know what I'm doing for him is the only thing that matters. So I'm going to recalibrate myself so I can do eternal things. How about you? How about you? Are we going to get stuck in the mire of what everybody's looking at? This, I mean, 2020 exposed the wheels falling off the world. Serious. Everything that was dependable became undependable. In politics, in socialism, 
And everything, everything that people trusted collapsed. Think about it. Everything was uprooted and turned on its heels. Now we have 2021, and I challenge every one of you online and in this campus, I challenge you with the fire inside of me to tell you what we do for Jesus is the only thing that's going to last. But I'm young. Well, now's the time. <laughs> you're old, Pastor Joel. You're even losing hair. Hey, young person, David was a young man on the hills. Before he became a king, he found a God that never left him or forsake him. And he became a valiant warrior because his relationship with God. I love that story. I love that he had many losses, but he had to change his perspective. What is changing perspective? He said it this way. For his anger, Psalms 30, 35 says this. For his anger is for but a moment, but his favor is for a lifetime. Weeping may tarry for a night, but joy comes in the morning. At the end of this day, in David's life, he grabbed the Word of God, which was his poetry, his journal entries. I tell a lot of people, you know, if you, if you want to grieve your losses, get your journal out and start writing stuff out. And they say, well, I don't know how to write. I tell them, well, David did. We open up the book of Psalms. Those were his journal entries. He was writing out his heart, and he said it. Weeping comes before a night, but joy comes in the morning. Because David knew that this is a season that I'm in. And one of these days, God, you're going to show up and you're going to make all things new and I'm going to reposition myself. I'm not going to stay in the house of mourning. I'm going to move out of it to the life that you've called me to live. And I'm going to take what you have for me and I'm going to live out my days. And the Bible says David lived out his days as an old man. And he transferred his blessings to his family, even though he made a lot of mistakes. I'm telling you today, you might have wept, but that weeping is for a moment. Joy is coming your way. Joy is coming my way. Joy is coming our way. We're coming out of this virus. We're coming out of these things. We're coming out of the delusion of the world's drunkenness. And we're saying we're going to rise up and we're going to take our positions and we're going to take our life in Christ and we're going to fulfill our destinies. Amen? Pastor, it still hurts. I understand. But he changed his perspective. Paul had a perspective change. In Philippians chapter 4, verse 12, he said this, I've known what it is to have a lot, and I know what it is to have a little. In all these circumstances, I've learned the secret of being content, being well-fed, and being hungry, whether abundance or in need. What was the key to Paul's secret? In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 8 through 10, here was the secret. He says, all these hardships, I begged the Lord three times to liberate me from my anguish and pain. And he said to me, my grace to cover you and to sustain you, that my power is perfected in your weakness. Paul understood, and it's a big word we use here at the Rocks called grace. That at any position that God puts you in, any position you find yourself in, He will sustain you, my friend. And He will give you the capacity to succeed, because that's how we define grace here at the Rock. When you can't do it, He will. The supernatural, divine ability to get the job done when you can't do it. David found, Paul found the secret ingredient to making life through its losses, which was that ingredient of, of supernatural grace. 
where you don't know how you're going to do it. You don't know why you're going to wake up the next morning. I'm talking to people online that are contemplating suicide right now. And you are telling yourself, I should just end it. Well, I'm telling you, the grace of God cover you, my friend. Because in your loss, that grace will amplify and says you're going to be able to make it. He will sustain you. You can go another day. You can confront another loss. You could be losing everything. And that's what Paul said. His perspective was this, that I've seen the plenty. I've seen the nothing in all things. God sustains me. And he will sustain you. And he has sustained this little guy here. A thought hit me the other day as I was journaling. And I said, God, you know, I, uh, I miss my mom. And this is what he told me. You know, I know, I know you do. But let me tell you this. Your mom would want you for you to continue to do what you're doing. And better and more focused and more faith-filled and don't stop. Because I could hear her. And this is what she would tell me. Miko, I know you miss me. But please, don't back down and don't back off because God's grace will sustain you. And you can move into your next new season and encounter why you were born. Like, wow. Because there's destiny on every one of you. And the enemy has attempted to lie to every one of you and say this, because you've suffered losses, because you're in pain, and because you're in misery, that's it. And that's what the enemy sells to you. And I'm here to tell you that is a lie from the pit of hell. Because that lie is being exposed tonight. Because his grace is sufficient to overcome all your pain. And when you let him, he will show up. And when you encounter these things, he will do something supernatural and beautiful without your help. Amen? But, 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 but God needs me. No, he doesn't. He doesn't need us. You know, I, I thank God that we're, we're recalibrating ourselves here at the Rock and, and we're all finding our own lane. And, you know, you, you see different type of preachers here and I'm just me. I don't know Greek. The only Greek I know lives down the street. I'm not here to pontificate or analyze. I'm not a scholar. But I'm just a seeker. And a seeker of him who found grace in time of need. And he's unfolded something beautiful to me. And he's unfolding it to you tonight through the word of God. Peter says this. Cast all your anxieties on him. Because he cares for you. How do you turn your losses into gain? Number three. Reignite your God dream. Some of you have stopped dreaming. Some of you have given up. Some of you have said, you know what, I've had it. I'm throwing in the towel. And I'm here to encourage you, reignite the dream inside of you. There are things that God has spoken to you personally about business, about family, about ministry. There are things on this table of grief that you need to flip the switch over because God is not done with you and he's not, not done with us. And you need to ignite your God dream. You need to ignite it. And I'm encouraging you tonight to ignite the dream in your heart for you and the legacy of your children. Don't give up. Don't back down. Rise up from the ashes and say, there is something inside of me that I'm still not done. There are things I need to do. There are deals that I made to myself and my family. I will not stop until I'm done. 
I will not stop. Why? Because when God recalibrates that God dream, he ignites something inside of you. He, this is the choice that you have to make to reposition yourself for the next season. He did that to Abraham when he told him in Genesis chapter 17, I'm giving you a promise for you and your generation. Verse 9, And God further said to Abraham, No, as for you, you shall keep my covenant, and your descendants will live from generation to generation. He gave a promise to Moses, even though he didn't get in the promised land. He told him, Moses in Numbers 27, I give you something that will guide you wherever you go, lead them into battle, in the community that God will be a sheep without a shepherd. So Moses was saying this, even though I'm not coming in, even though I'm not walking into the promised land, give that to my children into the next generation. So in Hebrews, he says this, listen to this. The book of Hebrews is a recalibration of a God dream. It's a recalibration of the manifestation of the covenant promise of Abraham manifest from the Old Testament to the New Testament. With all these losses, with all these things they didn't encounter, he says this in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 13. All these died in faith. The Amplified says this, guided and sustained by it without receiving the tangible fulfillment of the promise of God. Powerful. Promises that they've only seen, anticipated, in them having welcomed them from a distance, having acknowledged them as strangers, exile on earth. The God dream in the Old Testament saints never died because it was inside of them. Do you understand? This is why that text is there. That they foresaw a promise that was yet fulfilled. And I'm telling you tonight, there are promises in our soul that are not yet fulfilled. And we look, could look on the horizon. And I can say that our children's children will be blessed. And they will walk in the supernatural promises of Almighty God. And even though we might not see the Inland Empire be saved, they will see the Inland Empire be saved and fulfilled. That is the promise, my friend. That is faith. That is walking through the journey of life, of ups and downs, and not quitting. That is the faith intention to where you put a stake in the ground, like the Old Testament said, and said, I will not be moved. And that's my plan, and I'm sticking to it. There is a promise in every one of us. How are we going to shift? How are we going to welcome 2021? How are we going to do this supernaturally? It has to be done by His grace. How are we going to do it? We've got to grieve our losses. We've got to shift our perspective. And ultimately, we have to reignite the God dream. This is what I want you to do. I want everybody to stand. Everybody to stand. You know, I was not anticipating to do this, but I want to do this. I want to get somebody up here at the piano. I don't know what kind of journey you've been on. And I don't know what you've confronted this last year, but this year is a new year. And I declare over you and I declare over myself and my family, I'm repositioning myself for God's blessing and God's anointing and God's supernatural power and grace. I'm going to walk into my new season and so are you. And taking in our hand what God has given us and in our heart. Yeah, we've suffered. 
I know. I read the emails. Some of us have been brokenhearted. Some of you have lost jobs. Some of you have lost retirements. Some of you have lost marriages. Some of you have lost homes. Some of you have lost family members. Some of you are losing stuff right now. But I'm here to declare to you tonight that God is in this house. And Peter says this, cast your anxieties upon him. And here's what I'm going to do. I'm not going to call anybody up to the altar yet. I want you to reach up to heaven. Reach up to heaven. One hand. Your right hand. Bible positions your hand. He says the right hand of the Father. It's a position of authority. And I want to take your loss. And I want you to give it to him. Give it to him. Right where you are. If you're online, give it to him. He cares for you, my friend. He loves you no more than you know. Some of you are standing in faith and believing, man, and you're ready to quit. And I'm here to tell you, don't. God is repositioning you. God is leveraging you. So Jesus, tonight, I take every loss and I cast it to you. And I say in faith, Lord, I stand that I don't know the future, but you do. And I don't know what you have next, but you do. And I reposition myself to you. And I say this, like Job said, though he slay me, I still trust in you. So take this rock family. Take those that are online and on campus tonight. And we say, 2021 is our year. Our year of advancement. Our new year to flip. Our new year and our new season is here. For revival is at our heels. And breakthrough is coming. That weeping is for a moment, but joy of restoration is on us. And there's going to be this internal laughter with a roar to Christ and saying, oh my God, I am so happy I didn't quit. I'm so happy you repositioned me. I'm so happy you recalibrated me. And on those that went before me, I will stand. And the faith promise will be fulfilled. So we take our hand Take your hand and release it to him. Throughout all this auditorium, throughout online, release it to him. It's a symbolic gesture of letting go. Let it go. Let it all go. Yes, we miss him. Yes. This hurt. But tonight, I'm being healed by him. And tonight, we're being restored by him like Job. And tonight, Jesus is gathering the fragments of those losses and creating seeds for your destiny. And those seeds are going to take root. And that root is going to grow a beautiful tree of fruit that is everlasting fruit of joy. And that joy will be the light of your soul. And in the end of your life, you will have a smile and countenance in your soul. And you will say, with the king, well done, good and faithful servant. 
So tonight, Jesus, thank you. Take all of us. And we move and we shift. We recalibrate this God dream inside of us and the ignitement of the promise that I'm not done. And we're not done. And this church is not done. And the gospel's still not done and still has power and capacity to succeed in us. And our children's children are going to bear a harvest of the runtime revival. And they will usher in a new destiny and a new window of opportunity because mom and dad and grandpa grandma sowed the seed of faith and that seed through pain and that seed through loss and that seed through grief supernaturally birthed a God dream inside of them and their children's children will walk into the promised land and eat of the fruit thereof of those righteous that went before them and declared a promise that God alone and him alone is worthy to be praised And that God is here tonight. And that declared promises on us. There's a reason why this church was birthed. There's a reason why you're at this church. And there's a reason why there's purpose and intention of why the rock exists. And there's a reason why early on we opened up and we haven't closed our doors. And we're not closing them ever again. Because there's redemptive purpose, there's beautiful things happening, and there's a season. Look around of all these empty seats. One day, one day, I'm telling you, my friend, one day, they will all be filled. One day, thousands upon tens of thousands online, all over, seeding the gospel of fruit of trees of glory. Why are you so passionate about this? Because there's intended purpose on me and there's intended purpose on you. And tonight, God is recalibrating us. Did you get anything out of it tonight? Awesome. Thank you for listening to the Rock Church and World Outreach Center. If this message spoke to you, please share it with us. We'd love to hear from you. You can find more information at www.rockchurch.com.